Welcome to Weight Loss and Wellness for Real, the podcast where people like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the physical and mental weight so you can feel better and live the life you want in the body and mind you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating, overeating, binging behaviors, and move to a place of freedom with food and your body, you're in the right place. Just a reminder that this podcast represents my own opinions. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. I hope you are all having a great day today. Um, We are going to be talking about how to neutralize your narrative for weight loss and also for any other changes you want to make in your life. And I, at the end of the title of this episode, I put deeper work and I'm actually going to try to do that with certain um, topics that I put out on these episodes. And what I mean by deeper work is really just when we do some work that is a lot more um, focused on truly deeply changing our belief systems, um, how we think about ourselves, our beliefs about ourselves, um, you know, that that deeper work that's kind of required in order to make changes for good. So, and, and maybe some not such deeper work um, as I think in my head how that contrasts is going to be more of the episodes where I deal with different behavioral strategies to implement, which also is important and helps us get us, get us to our goals. Um, but they would be ones like last episode, I talked about the morning routine and implementing the morning routine. And, um, although that, I, I, that can be difficult, that it's not necessarily easy to implement those things. I just think of those, those sorts of things as more, um, just not quite that deep internal work that we do to create changes. So, Anyway, today is going to be one of those um, deeper work strategies that you might want to consider in order to hit any goals you might have, um, live a life you truly want to live. And of course, for our purpose here with this whole podcast, learning how to drop any extra weight you're carrying around, drop it for good as well as for those of you who don't have any weight to drop or maybe are even trying to gain, just really optimize optimize our health and um, our bodies. So we are going to go into that. But just a real quick thing, I did just want to say, um, you know, on a personal level, uh, last week, I think the episode, one of the last two weeks, was on experimentation and evaluation. And if you listen to that um, you probably have a sense of why experimenting and evaluating is so important when we're trying to hit any goals in life, um, including uh, weight loss and optimizing our body, our physical health. And so, and that's a struggle I've been dealing with over the last two years. And I keep putting out there in some of these episodes that I'm, I'm going to talk about what I kind of went through on a physical level the last couple of years with some, some physical issues. Um, anyway, and I will at some point, I'm, there's just, there's some, 
I just need to get to a place where I'm ready to offer up that story in a way that's interesting and helpful. So I'm working on that. With that said, (laughs) I have been in a place of really trying to figure out a way to drop about an extra I would say 10 to 12 pounds that I put on in the last couple of years and slowly I'm figuring that out. But, but even for me, because I am at a different, the, the stuff that worked for me, I mean, I've done every possible diet out there over the last, you know, oh my goodness, 20, 30 years, probably 30 years. Um, and you know, so there have been things that have worked for me that haven't worked for me. But the one that always did work for me was um, some intermittent fasting that I started doing. This was before even all the rage it was going on. Uh, but I had learned about it almost probably 10 years ago. So about seven years ago, I started implementing it where I just wasn't eating breakfast, which I was never hungry for anyway, and just kind of went beyond all the naysayers who said breakfast is the most important meal of the day, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I just didn't listen to that and really bought into this um, intermittent fasting and did that, I mean, for years, for years and years and years. And it did work uh, for a while and anyway, but then it didn't. (laughs) So, you know, this is my point with experimentation and evaluation and, and drawing it back to that past episode. Even, you know, me, like I geek out on this stuff. I really feel pretty confident in my knowledge um, as we know it right now in regards to uh, things that can work for people, can't work for people. Um, With that said, by the way, there is always things to learn, always, always, always new things to learn. So I'm always very open to that as well and always reserve the right to change my mind, which I have changed my mind on many things over the years. But point being, it did work for a while and then it didn't. <laughs> so anyway, quit doing intermittent fasting, um, you know, for probably, I don't know, it's been a while now. Now I am in a place where some other things have happened that um, I'm getting back to experimenting with intermittent fasting and I'm actually really enjoying it right now. <laughs> I am on day four of it and I'm doing it in a very different way than I used to do it. Um, And so, you know, at the beginning of some of these episodes, I'm going to kind of just share with you my journey in implementing and experimenting with this way of eating, of re-implementing this way of eating. Um, And remember also, just because I'm talking about this and I'm doing this does not mean this will work for you. I see this not work for many, many of my clients. I actually see when clients try this um, or have tried this before they've come to me, they will actually put on weight. So just a reminder, we are all unique. We are all individual and we all have different times in our lives when different ways of eating might work best for us. So just remember, as I share some of this stuff with what I'm doing, I am not telling you to do it. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you, but I do always find when I listen to other people's stories, um, is kind of interesting. So that's why I thought I'd just sort of take some time at the beginning um, of this episode and upcoming ones to kind of just let you know where I'm at. So right now I don't have a ton to share because it's only been uh, four days, but the way I have started to implement this is I am um, waiting until 
three or four o'clock to eat just because I've always been this way. I'm never hungry in the morning. So it's an easy way for me to kind of start out. Um, also, I just, I have no interest in trying to have a feeding window early in the morning. Some people do. Some people love to eat a huge breakfast, maybe a couple snacks and they're done eating by noon or whatever. It's just not me. I am very much, I love to eat in the evenings. Um, I really almost at this point in my life need that full feeling at night to go to sleep. Um, and there's probably, you know, I know there are lots of reasons for that, but I'm okay with that. Like that's just how I know I work best at this point in my life. So I decided to have this feeding window from three or four and if you hear me, you hear I'm not being super rigid about this either, which also, by the way, is really important. If you are going to um, intermittent fast or have a time-restricted eating window, you definitely want to be clear of any disordered eating patterns. Um, if you're still struggling or have in the past with too much restriction and you haven't worked through that stuff, I would not recommend fasting of any kind. Um, it really ends up backfiring for any of us who have not worked through that disordered eating. Anyway, um, I've done some work there. I'm feeling pretty confident right now that this is not going to trigger anything for me. So, um, so with that said, one more thing too, by the way, and you're going to hear this anyway, but you know, if you change anything, I'm not a doctor. So, you really need to get some clearance from your doc if you're going to change anything. So just that little thing out there to cover cover myself. Um, anyway, so I have this feeding window from three or four. I usually close the window at seven or eight. Um, and I'm usually in bed by 8.39, probably asleep most often by nine. So that's kind of how I'm doing it. And um, I find it interesting because... You know, you will hear so often things like, you know, don't eat right before you go to bed and, you know, all this stuff. And, and what I would say to that, there's no solid science behind, well, I shouldn't say that. There are some good studies behind that, but there are some good studies that say the exact opposite. So, you know, this, I am truly going from my intuition, how I feel, what works best for me, my lifestyle. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with eating, you know, an hour before I typically get into bed because I know that I can sleep. I know I do well. Some people cannot sleep on a full stomach. I mean, they have the worst sleep. They're way better off on an empty stomach. So those are things each individual needs to figure out. So that's my feeding window. Like I said, I'm on day four. Um, it was pretty tough the first two days um, because I was really used to eating my first meal right after I always work out in the morning. So after I would work out, before I would go to work, um, I would always eat my first meal. Otherwise, I'd get incredibly hungry at work. So I had been doing that pattern for a long time. So what happened on those first couple of days is I was very hungry right at that time. Um, our bodies get used to when we're going to feed it. So it, you know, whether you're, it just turns on the hunger hormones when it's used to getting food. So I would get lots of hunger at that time, but I sort of found that riding that out, like within a half hour, if I just kind of moved through my day and continued on, um, actually kind of distracted myself on purpose, like had a list of things to do before I had to go to work and just kind of filled that time in, I did find that um, those hunger signals 
left. They were gone and uh, was able to go to work and uh, feel decent, not awesome, but decent. Uh, I would say by yesterday, um, I really didn't experience much hunger and actually ended up having a ton of energy. And I've been doing stuff like this for so long. I can tell you definitely dropped into ketosis, had that real metallic, if you know anything about being in ketosis, you, many of us will get a very almost metallic taste in our mouth. Um, that's sort of the ketones going off. So knew I was in ketosis. And then because I have been geeky about this stuff over the years, I actually have a blood ketone meter. Um, so did take a reading yesterday and was, yep, definitely in ketosis. Um, so that's always sometimes fun. I don't know. I go in and out of loving to track that stuff and hating to track that stuff. So again, I just kind of go with where I'm at in life. Um, but so it's an experiment and, um, I'm kind of planning to give it three weeks because I know usually three to four weeks is how long it kind of takes to adjust. Um, there's lots of reasons I'm giving this a try, uh, again, um, and in a different way. And some of the different ways that I'm doing this is, um, I'm really doing, I guess what, and I hate this word, but it's called a clean fast. So my fasting window starts when I finish eating in the evening around seven or eight, and then, um, goes that fasting window goes through the night as I sleep and goes on till I start eating at three or four again. And this is the difference. During that fasting window, I am not, because I used to have to chew gum, I was drinking um, sweetened, fake sweetened water with some electrolytes and BCAAs during the day to try to, you know, help deal with that hunger. Um, I was, I was uh, popping mints here and there. Anyway, after reading a bunch on this, um, I just find I cannot get away with that. I could never get into ketosis. I could never get the extra energy. Instead, as I was fasting um, for those hours, I felt horrible, lethargic, awful. So I, I decided to do it this time around with a very clean fast. And I think that makes it more difficult at first, but I just kind of ripped off the bandaid and went for it um, because I had read some things saying how much easier it gets then. So no gum, <laughs> uh, no, um, even unsweetened, I mean, unsweetened anything, but no fake sugar or of any kind. So simply just drinking water, unflavored, sparkling water. Um, and I do have one cup of black coffee. So no more collagen coffee in the morning. I'm actually taking my collagen in water, along with some glutamine to break my fast starting at three or four o'clock and then go on to eat food. And by the way, in my eating window, I'm still eating the same amount of food I've always ate. So so I'm still eating the, the same amount of food I typically always eat in a full day. I'm just compressing it into that feeding window. So we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll keep you in the loop on it. And again, remember, we are all different. So just because this is where I'm at right now does not mean this is something you should go and do. It's more important to really just experiment and, and figure out um, where you're at and what, what works for you. Okay, so on to our topic. Um, if you're still listening, I am impressed because that was a tangent I just went on 
but also because the title of this podcast is is not super exciting. So, you know, I do know some people will probably skip past this episode because people really like those um, very practical uh, titles and episodes. But if you are here listening, good for you, because although the title is a bit boring, um, this really is some of the deeper work that we can do to stay in maintenance for good. So, also getting to our goal weight, but also staying there effortlessly. And isn't that a wonderful word, effortlessly? It's just such a calm, relaxed, content word. I really just, I love it. And I, I love words too. Um, anyway, it's exactly what I do want for you while losing weight. The effortless part as you lose weight and then as well as keeping it off, effortlessness. And in order to get to that effortless state of health and well-being, so living in your body of healthy weight and feeling energetic, alive, and just really wonderful, you need to take, we need to take a look at our narratives, our stories around weight loss, um, around your relationship with food, around yourself and self with a capital S there. And by the way, when I mention our self with a capital S, I mean that deep center of who we truly are, the authentic us, um, without all the masks or facades we wear, who we are at our core. And, and yes, we do all have a relationship of some sort with that deep center part of ourselves. And we all carry around a narrative or story around this relationship. So let's, let's talk a little bit first about narrative and story. Um, narrative therapy is something I got into about 20 years ago as a practicing clinician, um, a mental health therapist. And, and this is a style of therapy that helps people become and embrace being an expert in their own lives. In, in narrative therapy, there is an emphasis on the stories you develop and carry with you throughout your life. As we experience events and interactions, we give meaning, um, we assign meaning to those experiences. And, and these are our narrative or stories we carry with us. And we carry multiple stories at once that are related to our self-worth, our abilities, our relationships, our work, um, on and on and on of all different aspects of our life. Uh, and so when I'm using narrative therapy with my, with a client in my practice, and by the way, um, it's, you know, most practitioners, you don't use one, uh, therapy technique or one theory. Um, you, you use, you pull from all different kinds of theories and techniques and strategies to help fit the person you're working with, um, you know, in the best place that you feel will bring the most growth and healing for this person. So, you know, just a side note, I don't exclusively use narrative therapy as a technique, but I have found it to be extremely powerful for many, 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 many clients, myself included. Um, so when I'm using narrative therapy with a client in my practice, I, I help uh, my client become aware of their current story, their current narrative. So, so this process, you know, helps a person find their voice and uh, explore meanings that they have placed on their experiences. As their story is put together through conversation and words, um, through journaling, th- this person becomes 
an observer to their story. And, and remember, becoming the observer of ourselves creates neutrality. So, so it takes away heightened emotion. Being the observer creates what we call externalization. And this externalization helps us create distance or space um, between ourselves and the problem. It, it helps us realize that the problem is not inherently us. Uh, when there is space, we don't identify as the issue or problem. And this space allows us to actually work on the issue or problem and solve it. It, it allows a person to better focus on changing unwanted behaviors. So as we practice externalization, as we get a chance to explore our stories and put them into words, either verbally or written. Um, it really, it takes the story out of us and it allows us that externalization process where we get to remove ourselves as the problem in order that we can change the problem. We, we get a chance to see that we are capable and empowered in order to change. And, and through the neutral stance, that neutral stance of observing, um, so you're not judging, you are not uh, critiquing yourself, you are simply observing in a neutral stance uh, these stories that you hold. Working together, we identify the dominant story that is creating the problem or issue this person is experiencing. And then the next step, we work on is to deconstruct the story or the narrative. And this process of deconstruction actually brings more clarity to our stories, our narratives. So sometimes if we've had a problem for a long time, we, we will use as human beings generalized statements and can get really confused within our own stories. And so you know, we work together to break that narrative down into smaller parts to get out of that, those generalized statements. Um, so down into those smaller parts to bring awareness, more clarity, and making the problem more approachable. And, and this helps us figure out what the root of the issue is. And, you know, this is some of why, you know, I talked about that deeper work type stuff. Um, you know, this really is getting to the very root. Uh, and this gets into all my functional, you know, medicine beliefs and, and, and all of that, where it's, it's like to make true lasting change. I really am a believer that we have to find some of those root cause causes and, and work through them. When our stories about ourselves or our narratives about ourselves, about food, about who we are, about um, our relationships, how people feel about us. When our narratives about those things feel concrete or feel very absolute, like it could never change, any concept or idea of a different view or an alternative story is gone. And when that is gone, when that openness is gone, when that possibility of change is gone, uh, we become really stuck in our stories. And then that story or narrative influences all areas of our lives, like making decisions, our behaviors, our experiences, our relationships. So the story or narrative that we might be stuck in that is, you know, maybe creating this problem or issue for ourselves is really important to figure out and um, get some clarity on. And 
then after that step, the, the sort of end goal or process is called restorying. Restorying. <laughs> so this is a real collaborative process, um, typically therapist and client, but for some, it can be done through self-journaling. Um, you know, it really comes down to how motivated are you? Are you willing to, you know, really, really jump in and ask yourself the right questions and stuff? But the client always remains the primary author, but the 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 um the one who is in charge. But the the therapist or coach works to ask very poignant questions that help the person move from the you know, from the known and the, um, the familiar accounts of his or her lives towards what is possible to know and move more towards what is going to fit more closely with that person's values in life. So this is all part of that re-narrating or restoring process, you know, and now we're back to values, which I talk about a lot in past episodes and values in life. Remember that it's preferences in life, goals in life. You know, it's really living how you truly want to live. Those are, you know, your values. So our, our stories, um, our narratives become sort of like, I think of them as filters that we view the rest of the world through. And that's how our stories and narratives sort of influence everything we see and sort of create this meaning, um, which may or may not be true for us. Uh, but it also filters how we see ourselves. So when we when we do this work to kind of we widen the view by considering alternative stories for ourselves, uh, working on story or narratives. The you know the real goal of narrative therapy is to allow people to find their voice for good. You know, help them become experts in their own lives, to empower them, and to live in a way that reflects their goals and values. Again, I talk a lot about values, like I said in past episodes, and how living in alignment with our values is what brings joy, meaning, and purpose to our lives. So narrative therapy helps us get clear on that, clear on our values, clear on where am I telling myself the story that is keeping me from living in alignment with my values. We talk a lot about goals on this podcast too, mostly related to weight and health, obviously. Um, But this work does influence all of our goals, all of the ways we want to be living. There's a lot of research and published papers uh, from this research showing the benefits of narrative therapy for weight loss and weight loss maintenance. I I always think it's fun to know (laughs) that there is validation for a technique out there that I have seen work in my own practice for people, for myself. So it is kind of fun to know there's some science backing it up. So bottom line into, to really, um, to really get clear on all this is that we as humans construct ourself, capital S self, we construct it, um, both from our past and our present stories or narratives. We describe an event or action and often then analyze and construct a story to assign to the event or action. We give it meaning, which then gives us a sense of self, capital S, because it becomes part of who we are. So our stories shape us. And if our stories are shaping us and we know who we really want to be and how we want to be living, then we need to construct stories that shape us into that person. 
And there is so much more um, to techniques, different techniques and strategies used in narrative therapy. I mean, there is so much more, um, including how language and the words we use influence our brains in different ways. Um, but really, it, it it's way too much to discuss here. So we're just going to stick with what I've talked about so far and move on to some examples. And we're going to use weight loss um, health examples of how I use um, this with clients. But narrative therapy has been shown to be really successful at helping people with anxiety, attachment issues, depression, eating disorders, grief, PTSD. Um, so really, you know, it's something that get, gets used in, in clinical uh, mental health counseling, mental health therapy as well for all kinds of issues. Um, but since this podcast is kind of focused on um, optimizing weight loss, health, that sort of thing. You know, I'm going to stick with those examples. So uh, overeating is a good one to use since so many of us struggle with overeating or over drinking on some level. And many of us, you know, want to stop this habit, this pattern, so we can lose weight, find optimal health and energy, um, fit into our genes. Ha ha ha. Uh, one way to look at overeating or over drinking, um, you know, it, it comes out of an attempt to escape from self-awareness and then self-control in situations where, you know, one's own kind of really high standards and expectations and demands, uh, are put under pressure. So the eating, and we've talked about this many, many times, the eating or the, the overeating or the over drinking creates total relief from that pressure. And, you know, it gives us satisfaction in the moment. So basically many of us overeat or over drink to lessen feelings of stress anxiousness, depression, defeat. So in clinical terms, a a shift to lower self-awareness reduces in less self-control, which leads to overeating. And many of us have experienced this and maybe you can relate, you know, it's been a long day or something very stressful happened, an argument with your partner or child, um, you know, it could be an issue at work. You you walk in the door and immediately head to the pantry. And before you even realize what you're doing, you've eaten half a bag of chips. So we've, we've shifted in that moment to a lower state of self-awareness. And so our self-control is lessened. And so we eat to change those feelings in the moment. So here are some possible narratives uh, from that example above. And and by the way, uh, we run multiple layers of narratives at once. So many um, are not quite as simple as these examples, but go much deeper. Uh, but for this example purpose, we're going to use a very clear, more simple one. So some of the possible narratives running from this situation might be something like, when I am unhappy or feel stressed, eating helps me feel satisfied. Or I eat fast food or sweets or drink alcohol to calm down when I come home from a stressful day at work. Okay, those are both um, two narratives or stories that could be running uh, that kind of creates that overeating, overdrinking behavior after a stressful day. So they're they're habitual and and often we're really unaware. So 
you know, their habit stories, their unconscious stories or narratives that we're running. And this practice of narrative becomes very meaningful for the person. You know, when we run them, you know, we're attaching meaning to those stories. So the repetition of it makes the story even more meaningful and becomes more likely to take place. And so the behavior, the overeating, now becomes automatic. It's a habit. It happens more and more often to neutralize those feelings. So when we look to using externalization, remember that's the first step in narrative therapy, we look to become aware of our stories and we speak them out and often that might be to a therapist and or write them out you know and we do this to gain clarity on our stories and and that's that externalization we have to become the non-judgmental observer here and be able to step outside ourselves to watch what we are doing what is our brain actually thinking what are the programmed habitual stories we are telling ourselves about food, as in this example, but also what helps in this area is finding out what are our stories about our bodies, our weight, our relationship with our bodies, but we are going to stick to this one example, more focused on our relationship and story with food here. So the bottom line is to get clear that the problem is the problem and the person is not the problem. So the, this is the externalization is all about understanding the problem's the problem. I am not the problem. There, you know, There's nothing inherently wrong with me because I'm dealing with this problem or this issue. So if, if we move next into the step of deconstruction, we look at um, becoming more clear or, or you know, understanding our stories. So we know we hold the story when I am unhappy or stressed, eating or drinking alcohol helps me feel satisfied, helps me feel better. And so we work to get more understanding because understanding brings more clarity, which brings a sense of willingness and control, which is what gives us the ability to make changes. So looking for more understanding, we can ask ourselves questions like, when do I think this pattern first started? When does this pattern typically occur? What feelings am I experiencing when this pattern occurs? Are there any clues from my family of origin that this has influenced this pattern? What were the messages I received about food when I was a child? Why do I think I use food or drink to feel better? So asking ourselves very poignant questions can help us through that step of deconstruction to gain more clarity and understanding of the problem or of the thing we're trying to change. Okay, and then we're going to get into restoring in this example of overeating. And this is about changing the storyline. You know, you work to construct a, a story that offers meaning or gives a functional purpose. And this is not about just thinking positive. And you know, if any of my clients out there are listening, or if you know me well, um, you know I really, really dislike when I hear things like, just think positive. Positive thinking can actually backfire into self-loathing or anxiety. So I'm not going to go into detail on this topic here, but positive thinking is not always helpful. So, you know, this restoring process is not just about positive thinking. It, 
it's a specific technique for you to to develop life-affirming stories. And life-affirming stories are not always happy-go-lucky, positive stories. Often our stories are incredibly negative and um, they're in, in no way positive. You know, I mean, think of major things that all of us um, experience, you know, I mean, death, trauma, there are really, really horrible things that happen in our, our lives. And the idea is that there are just many potential storylines that we can submit to, that, that we can use that are more helpful or more useful than others. So think of this step um, kind of like a book that switches viewpoints from character to another, you know, to another character. Like in the book, you know, you're you're reading about one event and the author uses one character to describe it and then it goes into what the another character, you know, their viewpoint. Um, so, you know, our life has those multiple pieces or threads of narrative or story with different perspectives of the same event. And, and we can do that ourselves. You know, we may hold one perspective, you know, on the event, we have one perspective, one storyline, but really there can be many, um, many other ways to, uh, hold a story or, or construct a story around the same event. So, you know, we focus on a different storyline than the one that is the source of the problem. And this is not about avoiding the problem. <laughs> it's reimagining the problem. And this is about encouraging ourselves to find more meaning and purpose. This is where we focus on our values that come up when thinking about why the behavior is undesirable. So in our example of overeating or overdrinking, we would write out or talk out loud about why we no longer want to engage in the behavior. So things like, I want to lose weight or I want to feel confident. I want to feel more healthy and energetic. So from things like this, we become aware that we have a value of health and wellness. Um, you know, we value that we, we value being healthy and energetic. And so to get to this place, asking yourself things like, why do I feel negative about this issue? Are the effects, the results of this behavior, this overeating behavior acceptable to me? How would I prefer things to be? What next steps can I take to get in more alignment with my value. So those type of questions begin the process of restorying or re-narrating. And I have this thing where I discuss or explain restoring and, and the word is actually so close to restoring that um you know that's what restoring is all about. Restoring ourselves to who we truly are, who we are truly designed to be, our authentic truest selves. Um the restoring brings freedom. That is the ultimate goal. Eventually we come to a new narrative, a new story that helps us stay in alignment with our values. And some examples of restoring our narrative about when I am unhappy or stressed, overeating helps me feel satisfied to something more useful and helpful for our goals and values in life. Like Overeating when I am unhappy or stressed makes me satisfied in the moment, but then creates the extra weight and health issues that I do not want in my life. And, or another one, overeating when I am stressed does not serve me. It creates more of the problem I am working to solve. It is ultimately not satisfying because it creates more shame and anxiousness. Or it could be a new story like, I am someone who does not 
fear feeling every feeling I experience. I do not need to numb myself with food or drink. I am courageous and can feel all my feelings. And when I do this, I live in alignment with my weight and health goals and feel free. So this process of restoring or re-narrating is not just about shifting sentences in our head. It's, it's about the process uh, of how to identify our stories we tell ourselves, externalize the story by using language and words with a guide, a therapist, a coach, um, or if you're really good at self-coaching, you can use a journal, and then deconstructing them these stories, these narratives without judgment and finally restoring or re-narrating them. So this is a process. It takes energy and time to go through this process and it is incredibly rewarding. So other examples in life where narrative therapy can help change behaviors, habits, and attain goals is in our relationship lives, working with someone or through self-coaching and journaling to figure out your stories around your relationships. Um, The problem ones I hear often are, you know, I really want to find a partner in life, but there's no one who would want me. Uh, We work to change the story to something like, there are many people out there who find love. I am worthy of love from another. Uh, once someone, this is another story I hear often around a narrative around relationships. Once someone gets to know me, they leave me. Something is wrong with me. We work to change that to something along the lines of no one is perfect. There is nothing inherently wrong with me. I have a lot to offer someone, including kindness, fun, interesting conversations, etc. You get the idea. Um, Another one I hear, I keep dating, but there's not one person out there who can make me happy. We work to change that narrative or story to, I don't need someone else to make me happy. I know how to make me happy. The point is that this isn't just about changing a sentence in your head in the moment. This is about the deeper work required to truly believe in these re-narrated stories, to truly incorporate and integrate them into our deepest selves. So now let's go back to those relationship examples. What do you think happens when someone goes from the belief system, the story they are telling themselves from no one wants me, and they do the work to re-narrate to a place where they now have a belief, belief system or a story, I am worthy of love from another. So think about how this person with this new story now behaves with that belief, how they approach others when they are dating with this story in place. It is going to be completely different how they show up to another person. Um, You know, they're going to show up with this story in mind. They are going to show up the way they truly are, which creates more desirability Um, you know, all those things. I'm sure you've had the, you know, I'm sure you get what I'm saying. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you can, you can sense different, um, energies around people. You know, if someone comes to you and you, they're very confident and you can tell they believe in their worthiness and stuff, your reaction to them is very different and how you interact with them and, um, how you feel about them is very different than if, you know, it's someone who is very low in self-confidence or you can tell they carry the story about them of unworthiness. So, okay, let's go back to the food and weight example. When we change our deep stories about ourselves, about our food relationships, our weight, body, we literally show up around food and drink differently. Cravings go away. 
the power of food goes away. We find ourselves eating in a more normal, in quotation marks, <laughs> normal way with ease. And, and this is the power of the deeper work like narrative therapy and coaching. Um, it really does have pretty incredible lasting benefits in regards to our relationship with food and then how that um, spills over into our behaviors. It just makes things so much more effortless. <laughs> so I hope this episode gives you some ideas on what narrative therapy is and how restorying or re-narrating our stories we hold about ourselves, how deeper work with ourselves in our cognitions, emotions can create lasting change in our behaviors. So you know, my idea would be if you can spend a little time this week thinking about your stories, write them out. If you're trying to lose weight or optimize your physical health, what are your stories around food, around exercise, around yourself, capital S. If you're working on relationships, ask yourself, what are the stories you tell yourself about relationships with others? What do you tell yourself about connecting with others? If you're working on financial goals, ask yourself, what are your stories about money? You get the idea. So with all of them, begin by asking, where do these stories come from? And then ask, do they serve me? Are they helpful? From there, the deep work begins. And once the process is completed, change in our behavior comes almost effortlessly. If you found anything useful from this episode, would you please take the time to subscribe to the podcast and maybe give um, a review? When you subscribe, then you get all the episodes um, that come out once they're immediately released. And also when you subscribe um, and leave a review, review it, it does really help me keep the episodes rolling out and continuing to share information like this from from this platform. And then of course, if, if you know of anyone who might, um, you know, enjoy listening, if you would please, uh, send them a link, uh, that also really helps the listenership grow, which helps me, um, continue to keep putting all this, all this out there. And if you've already subscribed, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and sharing this space with me for listening and remember to thank your own self for being willing to consider making small changes in your life to get you closer to your goals and dreams. Uh, you can head over to my website at heatherheinen.com. Heinen is spelled H-E-Y-N-E-N. -E and from there, you can get a lot of information on how I work with my clients one-on-one. -on -one. All my programs are listed out in detail along uh, with prices. So everything's very upfront. You know what you're getting into. Uh, you can also follow me on social media. I am at Heinen Counseling and Coaching. Again, my last name is spelled H-E-Y-N-E-N. Heinen Counseling and Coaching on Instagram. And I also have a protein only recipe page at peak protein recipes on Instagram. So go over there and give a follow. Um, there I post all kinds of high protein recipes, peak protein recipes, P E A K. Um, and as I always keep mentioning, I am kind of slowly weaning off social media. Um, I am still posting here and there, but not near as much as I was. Um, 
But I am there once in a while, so if you leave me any messages um, at least once a week, I'm, I'm over there, so I will get them. But probably the best way to get in touch is through the Contact Me page on my website. All right, if you keep listening, you're going to get even a little bit more detail about me. Um, thanks again for being here, and we will talk next week. I hope you are finding something useful from these episodes and this podcast. And if so, please share it with someone else in your life you feel it could benefit. This podcast is also now monetized. So if you really feel you are getting a lot from it and want to help keep it going, please go to the episode show notes. You can just scroll down from wherever you're listening. You'll see a description of the episode and then you will see it says support this podcast and then there's a link you can click on. You can click on that link and that's where you can support the podcast. Even the smallest donation, like 99 cents, helps to keep me producing the podcast. And to those of you who have donated, I really, really appreciate the support. I really do appreciate all of you listening and sharing the space with me. Again, just very thankful for all of you. Did you know you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to heatherheinen.com. Heinen is spelled H-E-Y-N-E-N. And get in touch with questions on all things I offer, like online courses for overeating, weight loss, goal attainment, and also my coaching and counseling services. 